Patrick here with some exciting news. We now have 10 local communities of engineering leaders hosting in-person meetups all over the world. Yes, you heard that right. There are 10 local communities in cities all over the world. These groups are led by engineering leaders just like you who wanted to create a place to connect, to share insights, and tackle critical challenges in the job. To get involved, go to elc.community. Sign up if you haven't already. If you have signed up, make sure you update your location and we'll get you plugged in. We're launching local events all the time. You can find them and get involved again at elc.community. When the engineering partner would come to the conversation with talking about how other products that are successful have approached that and what choices they made, as opposed to just talking about the technology in the abstract, the business aspect of it, how it helped drive business results for other companies that are in similar markets or adjacent spaces. That's something that's super valuable because it shows that you are thinking about the technology, just not for the love of technology, but in the business context and in the appreciation of how the technology decisions drive the the business outcomes. Hello and welcome to the Engineering Leadership Podcast brought to you by ELC, the engineering leadership community. I'm Jerry Lee, founder of ELC. And I'm Patrick Gallagher, and we're your hosts. Our show shares the most critical perspectives, habits, and examples of great software engineering leaders to help evolve leadership in the tech industry. If you want to reduce friction and create better alignment between product and engineering, then this episode is for you. Hubert Palin, CEO at Product Board, joins us to deconstruct great collaboration between engineering and product. And in this conversation, we cover elements of healthy collaboration, common areas of tension, steps to align your teams on product vision, how to advocate for engineering priorities. Plus, in this conversation, we talk about how you can contribute more to defining the product vision and strategy for your business. If you've ever sat there and wondered, how can I do more to define the product vision? This is it right here, this conversation. Let me introduce you to Hubert. Hubert Palin is founder and CEO of Product Board. Hubert started Product Board when he saw a hole in the market for a dedicated product management platform. So Hubert really lives in the user persona of product managers and engineering teams all the time, which is why we wanted him on the show to help us demystify this whole experience. Before Product Board, Hubert was VP of Product Management at Good Data and a management consultant at Accenture. Enjoy this conversation with Hubert Palin. I just want to say welcome, Hubert. Thank you so much for joining us on the show. How's your Tuesday going? What's, uh, what's going on in your world? Happy Tuesday. Thanks for having me. I always say happy Tuesday because I never know where people are in the world and what time of the day it is. It's good. It's a, it's a busy it's a busy time overall. Plus, I have a baby number three due in a couple of weeks. So there's a certain level of elevated anxiety. Oh, my gosh. But, uh, it's it's positive. So. Well, congratulations on the incoming baby. That's a special moment for the family. Thank you. Thank you. Well, to set some context for our conversation, I know that we wanted to take a little bit of a deep dive into the engineering and product collaboration. And you and I are going to explore that in a couple different ways. And the goal being to help transform the relationship between product and engineering, which I think more than anything is probably more stereotypical. Like the cliche is like, oh, there's this tension between product and engineering. I'm hoping that you and I can transform that a little bit. But the big why, and what I'm interested and really excited for about this conversation is that at product board with what you're doing, like you've built a product for PMs. And so you really are deep into the minds and motivation of product. And so uh, I'm just excited to, to chat with you um, and to get into some of the translating what is going on in that world. What's been your experience collaborating between engineering and product? And what are some of the key elements that have contributed to that successful collaboration? 
Yeah, and and you you, you mentioned it a little bit, and you know, where Product Board is a product management software, product management platform. But you know, at the end of the day, the way I've always thought about the craft of creating digital products that are extraordinary, it is about very tight collaboration and shared understanding of who is the customer, what are the pain points or problem, and then what are you going to do about it? Which is, by the way, fundamentally what product management is about, you know, rather than project management of managing tasks and milestones. It's like, who's the customer, what are the pain points? And to your question about the collaboration with engineering, at the end of the day, the more you understand the problem, the better solution you can devise. And so while the specialization is needed and while the, the core focus of the product management role is the problem and the customer understanding and kind of the market understanding and engineering is much more about the solution and, and building the best possible product that is architected, right, and scalable and performant and usable, you know, all, all that in the, in the right way, it really needs to be a very tight union. In the absence of understanding the problem, you risk of building something that nobody needs. So I, I'd, I'd say it's critical. And, you know, it's, I would add to it, it's not just engineering and product. It is design, engineering and product as a triad. But then across the entire company, the more and closer understanding you have of who is the customer, what are the pain points and what are you doing about it, the better ultimately the execution is going to be, not just on the product side, but on the go-to-market side as well, right? You need to get it to the customers. I really like what you shared about it's not just engineering product, but it's about engineering product and design. But then you extended it further to it's the entire company. Probably the next question, just to zoom out a little bit, like how do you think about translating things like the problem or like to create a better understanding of the problem to other elements of the business beyond maybe just like the the engineering product design triad? and, And what does that extension look like? I mean, you know, so it is the elements, right? It's like, who do, who is the, who's the person? Who's the audience? And, and it can be businesses, right? It doesn't have to be individuals. But having a very, very clear understanding of the both the demographics descriptors as well as the behavioral and the needs that that segment has is critical. And so, I mean, there's multiple tools, right? Like, and different parts of the business call them differently. And on the sales side, we have ideal customer profile and marketing has personas, specifically a lot of buyer personas. Then designers have user personas. Engineering kind of relies on what what comes from you know, design and product management. Ultimately, it needs to be a representation of not just the user, but the market. And it needs to be clear to everybody that there's very few products that have a very homogeneous user base and that every conversation that you have should really start with clarifying, okay, who are we talking about? And, it, you know, it might even be obvious. It, it might be kind of people uh, in the in the consumer world, you might think about like, okay, is it a mom with kids or is it a teenager or is it a retiree, right? Like, you know, obvious demographics. But if you start thinking about people in the context of what is it they're trying to do, um, that suddenly unlocks very different dimensions. And on the B2B side, it's not just like small, medium, you know, enterprise companies. I'll give you an example in our case. You know, we early, early in the days thought about, okay, what kind of a product is a company building? Is it a small or large company? Do they have one product or multiple products? Is it digital first or digital transformation company? Is it B2B or B2C? Is it a company that's kind of high on product maturity and bought into lean startup and understands the customer centric? Is it the framework or is it somebody who's kind of more old school type of a thinker or, or a leader in the role? All of that, you need to have the conversations and you need to codify it. You need to have artifacts around it. You need to do roadshows and make sure that everybody understands it the same way. You need to facilitate questions, do AMAs, like all that needs to happen to facilitate it and get everybody on the same page. Absolutely. I think the the be clear that every conversation is to start with, who are we talking about? It doesn't happen enough. Like it, that almost seems to me that should be the prerequisite agenda item at the very beginning when you're entering into those types of meetings. Like step one, who are we talking about? Then steps two through X. Yeah. 
it's, it's 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 kind of like we always talk, you know, in in programming engineering when you're doing prioritization, it's like, okay, what's the most important thing, right? Like, what's gonna move the needle most? But for whom? Yeah. And it's like, it's very very different. We're like, what are you optimizing for? And even kind of characteristics, I'm sure that's something we could get to, right? But are we trying to make sure that the current existing product with the current feature set is really really good, or are we trying to add new adjacent use cases or problems and you know innovate and add some new functionality or are you trying to make sure that the foundations are um, scalable and that you don't have tag that and that you don't have usability that you know like all that needs to be put in front of everybody before you can start talking about value Mm -hmm. value for what trying to do what and then you can have a conversation about prioritization absolutely i think this is a good a good opportunity to dive into some of the areas of friction that you've identified between engineering and product and so I was wondering if you could share maybe from your perspective, like what have been some of the greatest areas of friction that you've observed between engineering and product? And I guess were any of those surprising to you? I mean, who's calling the shots? It's kind of a it's kind of a big one. And it comes, you know, often from the DNA of the company and kind of how how the, you know, maybe even back to the founders and who has the most influence. Is it the engineering or is it the product managers or is it the business side? Right. It really depends on the on the DNA of the company. And so I feel like clarifying what the responsibilities are and who owns what, kind of like the the big picture, like who can make a decision what's going to get built or who can make a decision which portion of our capacity is going to go to innovating versus uh, eliminating tech debt or, you know, strengthen the fine foundation. So it's kind of on a meta level that that understanding who owns what. And even on a, on a lower level, like on the individual team level, even at our company, we, we've had conversations like, oh, so what, what should an engineering manager or the team lead do versus the product manager? And who's in charge of the scrum management or you know, project management in general? Or who's, who runs the ceremonies? You know, we try to basically say like, hey, this is going to be the job of product manager for this stuff. And so the engineering manager is going to be for this stuff. And then we realized that people are people and that not everybody fits the same mold and that it actually pays off to... You know, agree on the principles and agree on the outcomes, but then be more flexible. That maybe one team, you know, maybe the engineering manager is 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 uh, better to run the the ceremonies and be really the kind of the the controller um, of the pace and like really driving the execution. And in 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 other situations, is the product manager um, who's gonna be doing more of the kind of project management in addition to the responsibility of product management, which we talked about, right? Who is the customer? What problems are we solving? And so on. While this is a friction, you just need to be flexible. Another thing that I can think of is kind of what is the process and the unification of process. And this is kind of interesting because on the engineering side, I feel that uh, over the last what, 20 years you know, of agile uh, methodology, like the, the, the unification of the engineering aspect of the delivery kind of happened and you know, people are more unified and aligned. But frequently still on the product side, the different product managers have very different ways how to prioritize. They choose different criteria. They use different tools often still. Everybody has different spreadsheets or even, you know, whatever task management systems. And there's little unification and then it hurts the entire productivity of the entire team. Because what happens is that you need to start rolling up the work of the individual teams in, in the organization, right, to the higher levels of the hierarchy. And you need a unified process across product and engineering and design, again, as a triad, in order to eliminate a lot of the friction and, and kind of confusion. With the who's calling the shots area, I can imagine if that is unspoken or not communicated, huge area of friction. Oh my gosh. 
so you mentioned clarify the responsibilities of like who runs the ceremonies or and some of those different elements. Like what does a successful conversation look like in that area where maybe the decision maker is unclear? Like in, in your mind, how does that go? Well, I think a success is when you are clear about who's driving what initiative and who's the decider, right? But the reality is it's difficult because there's frequently people in the organization and especially in the startup world where you just have more context than other people because you've been around the longest and you thought about the problem the longest. And, you know, obviously the founders are natural centers of that. But as the company grows, there's other people in different domains in different areas. And so the question is like, how do you make sure that you really take advantage of that knowledge rather than reinventing it and kind of, you know, just delegating to people who just started or, you know, don't don't have that deep of a context. And, but I feel like you need to do it in a way that it, that it scales and that you're not blocked and that it's not the bottleneck that this person has to be involved in everything. And I, let me tell you, it's been a challenge for me as a founder who feels like obviously I have the biggest context on everything. How do I let go and how do I delegate? But I feel like that what you can do is design a process where you have the opportunity to participate. But then also, if you don't, it's kind of a, it's kind of understood that hey, there was a there was a opportunity, there was a touch point, there was a you know review or some feedback session, and if you skipped it, you skipped it, and you know the team's going. Another thing is that one of the teams that I'm working with we put together kind of a tiger team that I'm working with on the, on the product side. And we have a decision log and the engineer who runs that, he said like, hey, how high of an impact decision it is? And what is the, is it the one way two data or the Amazon kind of screen? And we determine that. And then if it isn't, then, you know, maybe I don't need to, I don't need to provide input or I'll review it later and we can reverse it if, you know, if I have a context that was important that would change the decision and so on. But that it, it's, it's a structured conversation. Another question related to this particular one. So you also talked about like differentiating the responsibilities. Like what would be like your preference for how these responsibilities are split between, you know, engineering manager or tech lead and a product manager? You, you mentioned, you know, maybe an EM drives the pace, but the PM drives more of the project management and like the customer pain point representation. In your preference, like how, how do you see those split in a way that you feel works best, most effective maybe for you and, and product board? Look, I think that the key is product management is not project management. Right? And product management is really understanding, like I said, and I'm going to repeat it, it's, it's key. Who is the customer? What are the pain points, needs, use cases, jobs to be done? Whatever you want to call it, right? Like what represents the need? And then the product manager's job is product manager owns this. If you as an engineer show up with a solution in front of a product manager, the product manager should be able to tell you this is great or this sucks. You know, obviously on a scale, it's not black and white, but that's the primary job of product manager. Then secondary to it is, is there a big enough market? If you build this, it might be great. It might be amazing for this for this segment of the market, but is it big enough and can you build a business around it? And so that's, that's the product management uh, responsibility. And then engineering is, hey, let's make sure that the, the solution is amazing, that it scales, that it's performant, right? That it, it has all the aspects of security and designers' responsibilities, the usability, the kind of seamless functionality, uh, as well as emotional aspect of it. Is it delightful? You can kind of carve out these responsibilities very clear. But they're like, who manages the project aspect of it? Oftentimes, the product manager is more the project manager, but that is my point is that it's not really the goal. It shouldn't be the focus. And so I, I actually would say like it doesn't really matter who the project manager is as long as there is one that's on top of it, that has the discipline, that's able to communicate. Probably often it is the product manager, but it doesn't have to be. If the engineer is organized, you know, loves to talk about things that are not just the solution, right, but you need to manage the project of everything, then it can make sense. 
also sounds like a, a big opportunity for like leadership growth as well to take that part on and drive and drive oh, the initiative. Absolutely. I mean, absolutely, right? Like, because, you know, people say in the industry that a lot of future CEOs come from the product management role. And I would argue that it is the combination of the market knowledge with kind of execution abilities. And so if you want to be in the leadership position from the engineering perspective, like you should take on this project management, execution management of what the team is working on or bigger part of organization, because that's expected from you as if you want to be a CTO or a CEO one day. One of the the narratives that is sort of occurring in our community is around sort of this mandate to do more with less, to figure out engineering efficiency and all of those types of things. And so when you're talking about sort of the engineering process disconnects that can happen, I was like, ah, this is a huge area of probably surprising inefficiency to to have sort of these like separate processes to develop and, and, and ship things. And so I was wondering, like, from an engineering process perspective, like, what is like a good ideal state look like in, in your mind? Like, is it unified tooling or... Or is it engineering product to design using different tools, but like syncing and aligning on like all of the different elements that they're trying to track? Like in your mind, like how, how does that, how do those like the engineering process or product management process sort of come together? Yeah, I, I'd, I'd say that, I mean, tooling is important the process and kind of the whole, the whole tech stack for sure. But it really is downstream of alignment and clarity around the product vision and strategy and the broader context that needs to be shared. So I would start, I would start there. And it's really kind of to the early conversation about making sure that the understanding is shared. It needs to happen across the entire product design engineering or engineering product design R&D team. And it is the role of the leadership product or you know, the CTO, who, whoever is calling the shot, the shots to be very crisp about, uh, okay, where are we going in the long term? But then don't confuse the long term vision with the immediate uh, focus and kind of the milestone along, so it, along which we are going to go there and be as crisp and clear about, okay, what are we trying to achieve at the at an, any given point in time? And a lot of teams kind of confuse the vision with the immediate steps and you're know, like, oh, we're going to be this big company that does all these things. And yeah, maybe five years from now, maybe 10 years from now, maybe 20 years from now, but like, where are you going to build tomorrow? And you need to be very focused, right? You need to be like, okay, for this segment, for this need, this is exactly what we're going to build. And then next we're going to expand and we're going to satisfy more needs or, you know, maybe need for more different segments. Like it depends what your strategy is. You can build a company that's very deep for one segment into a lot of use cases where you can build a horizontal company like Notion, right? That's satisfying a lot of use cases for Airtable. That's satisfying a lot of use cases for many different audiences. And so that conversation is critical. And then in terms of the, the process kind of what are the dimensions? And for example, do you have clarity over investment buckets that you use to measure how you spend your R&D capacity? Meaning what percentage goes into improving the existing functionality for the existing use cases of your core product, right? Like what you already promised to the customers, like, is it good enough? Are you really meeting the bar of the expectations? And if not, like, okay, how much investment is going there to fix the usability, to fix gaps in the core experience, to make sure that the product, the, the core is really solid, that the unit economics are really, really in the right shape. And second aspect. Okay, if you have that, like what are the next things on the differentiators that you're going to build in order to be really ahead of competition and so on? And then technical foundation, customer specials, if you're expanding to new segments. And you should have, again, agreement and alignment. What are these buckets? Because that is the confusion between product management and engineering. Like, oh, you need to build this new feature. Well, wait a minute, we have this technical debt. And so like, you know, hey, where do we meet? At the end of the day, it's all about ROI. If, if engineering product design teams are not driving product engagement, it's, you're doing something wrong. And so this is 
challenging. How do you measure? How do you measure product engagement? It's always like, oh, how do you measure the value? And how do you hold uh, engineering product design team accountable? There should be a leaderboard of features, just like you have a leaderboard with salespeople who you know deliver revenues. Like, okay, your, your feature, how much engagement did it drive in the last 30 days? And you can do 30 days now or 30 days post-launch and then show it to everybody. What then did you make by launching a feature? And, and, and again, for whom and so on, right? You need to be more nuanced, but long answer. I don't know if... Uh, <laughs> oh, well, I, I've got three different angles to, to dive into right now. I, I wanted to jump into what you were mentioning about the, the product vision and, and that area of alignment. Because one area where I feel like I struggle with is breaking down a long-term vision and starting to figure out sequence or short-term versus long-term milestones and what that looks like. How are you going through the process of developing the product vision and then breaking that down? Like, do you have specific questions or prompts that you're reflecting on? Like, what does that process look like for you? I mentioned the dimensions along which you described the segments and I mentioned B2B, B2C and one product, multiple products and, you know, modern product management, old school product management, you know, whatever the dimensions are in your world. But start there because that is the foundation for understanding the segmentation of the market. And basically what you want to do is to make sure that you identify the smallest or like the most concentrated pain for a customer segment that can be small, but you need to have a line of sight to where you want to go later. And so I'll give you, I'll give you a very um, simple example. When Salesforce started as a CRM product, you know, build, obviously now it's a massive company that satisfies sales and marketing, customer success, service use cases, whatever. But when they started, they satisfied needs just of the sales team. And then within that even was like, is it the sales rep versus sales manager versus head of sales versus sales operations? And the more nuanced understanding you have of that as part of the vision, right? Like you articulate like, look, this is the market. This is the process. These are the needs. There's all these different types of users and they have different needs. And we want to build at one point, like product board wants to build a platform that's going to be end to end entire product management lifecycle. And all these people that are collaborative of it, not just product managers, the designers and engineers and all the business stakeholders and so on. That's the vision that we're building as a company. But we said in the early days, we're going to start with the individual product manager at a B2B SaaS kind of, you know, digital first company that has a relatively low complexity of the product. That's the BJAT. That's the segment. And so that narrative was part of the vision was like, draw the picture, not just not just tell people, hey, this is what we're going to build and for everybody, but like be nuanced about how does the market segment. And then when you kind of, Describe this big picture. Then you can go and say, okay, this is the sequencing. And, you know, we want to play here. We don't want to play here. Maybe next year we're going to expand into the new use case. And, you know, then the scope is going to evolve. But that's not what we're going to do now. And so if a salesperson shows up and says like, hey, I have this feature request from this customer and it's like super important and it will help us close this deal. That's amazing. But is it for the segment that we said is the focus for, you know, whatever this period, right? For this year or whatever your strategic planning is. And if it isn't, then you say, thank you so much. It's so wonderful. That's such an insightful thing. And we understand the opportunity, but sure you can see if I show you this matrix with the segments and the needs that we are focused right now, because 90% of your opportunities this quarter that you have fit into this bucket. And what you're saying here, I understand it's a big deal, but it's an outlier and it's so small, you know, in the aggregate, it doesn't represent a broader market this conversation is critical. If you don't have it, if you don't talk about what you know of, but don't focus, are, are not focused on, are not going to build right now, then it's all like a wishy-washy, hey, vision for everything, everyone, one day and so on. But like, what's next? What sequence? 
the process that you described there of, you know, you're talking about the matrix of saying, hey, we have 90% investment here, like all of the deals that you've been navigating in that area, like you've closed at a much higher percentage. And like this one is a small use case, like that conflict between like engineering or product and maybe like the quote unquote business side or like marketing sales or whatever it is, that happens all the time. And that's such a hard thing to bridge because like you have people that are motivated by like getting the deal closed. And then you have people motivated by kind of different elements in terms of, you know, how the, that part of the organization is built up. I just, the practice that you laid out there, I thought was, was really great. Even, even bigger probably friction is between the existing customers and the new customers, right? Because on the, Mm. on the the market side is like, oh, we need to build this new thing. And then because sales doesn't see the existing customers, customer success and support sees the existing customers and they're frustrated that there's gaps, right? But like the job of the product organization is to balance that. You really need to have the portfolio balance. Like what are you building for the existing customers and improve? the more you can articulate what revenue is tied to it or what kind of, you know, impact. It can be some strategic elements, right? It doesn't have to be just like directly tied, you know, revenue ARR goals or, or whatever. It's more complex than that. But having that conversation, that that's the job of the product leadership. And it, it is not just the product leadership because engineering needs to be the one who's, who's going to be banging like, remember the skyscraper that we built, that we all live in? It's actually the pillars are not going to the bedrock and it's like the Millennium Tower in San Francisco that's declining and if you don't go out and fix it, like the whole the whole building is going to fall. So like we should probably fix it if you want to continue building, living here. And even more so if you want to build 100 builds and put on top more 100 more stories. But <laughs> so that's why it's a collaborative conversation and you need to tell that to the, the business side as well. Patrick here with some exciting news. We now have 10 local communities of engineering leaders hosting in-person meetups all over the world. Yes, you heard that right. There are 10 local communities in cities all over the world. These groups are led by engineering leaders just like you who wanted to create a place to connect, to share insights, and tackle critical challenges in the job. To get involved, go to elc.community. Sign up if you haven't already. If you have signed up, make sure you update your location and we'll get you plugged in. We're launching local events all the time. You can find them and get involved again at elc.community. So going back to product vision, from your perspective, for engineering leaders that maybe want to get more involved in participation in like developing that product vision, like how might an engineering leader do that? Like what might be your recommendation for an engineering leader to get more involved in like the product vision side of what's going on? So I'll tell you what, I don't know if I have like a silver bullet, you know, his answer, but what I what I appreciate as a founder who's like, I have a product background, right? So I'm like a product founder, even though I have master's in computer science, but like, you know, I, my co-founder was the CTO and, and and has been running that. But what I always appreciate is in those conversations is when the engineering partner would come to the conversation with talking about how other products that are successful have approached that and what choices they made, as opposed to just talking about the technology in the, in the abstract, the business aspect of it, how it helped drive business results for other companies that are in similar markets or adjacent spaces. That's something that's super valuable because it shows that you are thinking about the technology just not for the love of technology, but in the business context and in the appreciation of how the technology decisions drive the the business outcomes. And it's hard because like there's always these trade-offs, right? And like even us, we build historically very front-end heavy application because, you know, hey, let's build it on Heroku. It's, you know, massive payload. Let's have everything in the browser and that's fine. And it's going to be super responsive, everything. And we'll just, you know, sync all the clients together, right? And it's like very light server and so on. And then the price you pay for being successful and having customers that are massive companies like Kroger retailer or, you know, like Volkswagen or Zoom is a big customer of ours is that just a lot of data. 
And so you basically cook the browser in that technology, right? And so like, okay, maybe let's re-architect and you need to go and you need to rebuild everything and move it to the server and have a much more, much lighter front end and so on. But again, my point is that the conversation needs to be happening in kind of between product, like where are we going? What are the expectations? And, and engineering shouldn't be just sitting there and saying like, hey, tell us what to build, but how do you think about the evolution? Like these questions, and I saw that this company have gone through this and Salesforce had to re-architect, right? And Zendesk had to re-architect when, whenever they scaled. And, and you know, even um, I just read this blog post that Linear, the new cool kid on the block in the engineering ticketing management is having performance issues because they have everything in the browser. So like, you know, that kind of a input and conversation is just hugely valuable and gets you seat in the conversation. That's the respect as opposed to just, hey, you know, which which like specific technical you know decision we're gonna we're gonna do and abdicate on the understanding of the problem and the business opportunity that don't do that how to get respect in the conversation i love that headline yeah and and you know that doesn't mean that you're the expert right just like the product people are not experts in the technology but it's just like the appreciation and listening and showing curiosity about that aspect of the work because i mean then you're mm. you're more relevant in your answers and your contribution to the overall success right you're like collaborative partner as opposed to just, hey, you know, I'm the best engineer, just tell me what to build and off I go. Curiosity is a, is a pathway to, to generate re- respect and, and mutual understanding of that process. I love totally. that. So I want to talk about conflicting priorities related to like product vision when there's misalignment here. How do you handle like conflicting priorities when maybe technical feasibility and that product vision, maybe at first first surface level don't align? Like what is that like? What I what I mentioned about the framework, that is critical aspect of it to kind of explain and and you know sometimes I I would say that don't assume some of the basics that people outside of engineering understand. Like for example, what is the technical debt? Just like that conversation. What is it? Is it the mistakes that we made in the past or is it the intentional cutting corners that we've done with the technology knowing that it's a debt? Which, you know, in my book, that is the definition as opposed to the, we screwed up and made mistakes and now we need to go and course correct. Right? That's a different, <laughs> it's a, it's, it's a different category. And it's, you know, both happens, right? It's, it's inevitable. But just like having that conversation and explaining that to your partners, whether it's product or whether it's the business side, be very clear about, hey, we will need to rebuild it. But like really keep a log of it to make sure that you know that it is piling up. Just like the financial debt, right? Like you need to be diligent because you might kind of know it and you might you might have it in the back of your head and you know as an engineer the code base and you're responsible for that piece and you know it, but nobody else does. And if it's not transparent, if it's not shared, if that, you know, is not top of mind, like it's so difficult to facilitate a conversation and, and you know, resolve that conflict. And, and I'm sure that people have seen it, right? Like product management is pushing new features and engineering is, you know, under a pile of rubble trying to like keep the house working. But it's, it's partially a communication problem because you are not articulate clearly where the problems are and what's happening there. And sometimes you need to drag the product manager to the basement to show them the rotten, you know, foundation pillars or whatever, the dry road that you have to kind of like understand that. So yeah, the, the, the framework and, and, the, and the communication and then the conflicting priorities, like oftentimes it's very difficult to kind of explain, you know, on the analogy of the skyscraper. Okay, so how big of a house are you building here really? And, you know, you're not going to start the startup from day one building a massive foundation because you don't even have money to finish the foundation and then you need to start the building, right? You unfortunately need to build a tent and then the house and then 
tear it down and then go and build the skyscraper and, you know, then keep building on top of that. But like, what are the inflection points? That's something that you should talk about. And the engineering partners should be able to clearly articulate what are the limits. And you and, and again, communication, right? The storytelling and use the tent. And look, this is, I know that you think that we can cram 100 people into this tent, but this tent is really for two people. It's great. If you sell more of it, it's like that. Did you see the Blackberry movie? I haven't seen it yet, no. I just watched it uh, a couple of weeks ago. And they talk about the capacity of the network and, you know, how ultimately it will break. Sometimes you can push it. Sometimes you can have a breakthrough that just allows you to cram more people into the tent or inflate the tent or whatever, right? And then increase the capacity. But oftentimes you can. It's just like, it's, you just then need to stop everything and go and re-architect. And so, again, that needs to be a very intentional conversation of what are we what are we architecting for and an understanding of the limits. And then when ahead of time, we need to start building the second generation of the architecture that's going to be, you know, able to support the, the, you know, the next generation of the business goals. But oftentimes that doesn't happen. And then everybody's like surprised on the business side at, oh, how come that it's so slow? And how come that the browser, you know, <laughs> can handle that? Can just like, you know, buy more hardware, or better, whatever. I was going to say, I hope people borrow the tent and skyscraper metaphor, especially in the realm of re-architecting and understanding the limits of what you're building for. I think that the metaphor of telling some of these stories is so powerful, regardless of you know the depth of explanation behind the technology that you're working yeah. with. That can be really powerful. Well, that kind of answered my next question was about like, you know, how can you best advocate that some of engineering's most important considerations are addressed? And it's like what you said, take the time to explain. Sometimes you need to like take people down to the basement and show them the ugly things. And then also, you know, use the metaphor, use the metaphor to explain what's going on. Um, I, I love that. Yeah. And then it's, it's, you know, like it's hard, right? Because it is in part art. And the reality is that you might build a tent and then decide that next to the tent you need to build a completely different one or you know a different house it's like you're you're placing bets and especially the bigger you are the bigger portfolio you manage and you might have multiple products and it's like which one are you you know funding where you're investing it, it gets it gets complex very quickly but having that that framework and having that understanding that you need to have the conversation which is really like you know the the, the role, role of the leadership is to define the frameworks that create the incentives and that sets the stage for the conversation so like every product manager if you're prioritizing a feature should fill out whether it is going to help existing users or new users is it going to help with um Uh, expanding to new segments is it a customer special like that that should be filled out and on the engineering side as well right like hey rebuilding this is it kind of a category of okay we build it this way it's not gonna scale it's like this this is a temporary solution it will help you validate something or it will scale to certain aspect but then you know we will need to go and we will need to build it differently or hey we're gonna build it but it's like a custom built thing We understand that we're building platform here and that we will need to build it into a more modular Lego-like pieces that can be reused later down the road. But there's an overhead of designing it. You're never going to get the beautifully sculpted marble statue out of Lego. It's a Lego. You will see the pieces, right? But it's like you can build a lot of things from the pieces. And so that conversation, again, about the objectives and what are you optimizing for needs to happen. And then the metaphors, as you can tell, I love metaphors. It's, like, it's my whole life in this world. Like I struggle to explain it to people who 
are, you know, <laughs> even uh, people in my personal life, like, what is this project management about? Like, what, what are you guys doing? Like, what is this company? And then you can imagine that, you know, speaking to the media uh, and journalists about like, what is this product management thing? And like, you guys are a unicorn company. Like, what, what the hell are you doing? So like, you, you don't yeah. have an option than to like tie to something that people know in their real life. One practice that I heard of, so um, Jan Chong, VP of Engineering at Tally's joined us um, and she's done stints at a, a, a number of other different places. One of the practices she introduced in this conversation was like her and her team brainstorm metaphors. They do like a whole metaphor brainstorm. It's like the whole subject of their mm -hmm. meeting to help translate some of the, the harder parts of engineering to understand to different parts of the business that maybe have less context and, and don't quite know. And so like that practice to me, like, I, I love that. And so if you're looking for a, a metaphor jam partner, Jan is one of the best best out there, oh, most definitely. Incredible. You have emphasized throughout this conversation that communication is so critical between these different elements of like of the EPD triad. And so you were talking earlier about, you know, have alignment on like the different buckets of investment that you're that you're focused on. I was wondering if you could share a more about like how do you facilitate communication between engineering and product management teams? Like are there specific conversations like including this having alignment on the buckets that you're investing in? Are there specific conversations that help facilitate that great communication? Like are there certain ones that are consistent, certain ones that are as needed? Like what are some of those conversations that you found like absolutely critical? You know, we have regular meetings, we have regular triads, right? Like the, the, the different pillars, everything is in the triad, in the mm -hmm. EPD. So to, to make sure that that is the unit, it needs to be super tight and on all the levels. And I mean, you know, and it is challenging, right? And, and there's even disparity between the size of the organizations because the engineering is in terms of headcount, the biggest one, right? Because you have ratio of like one to eight product managers and you know, less than that or like a high ratio for, for designers. And so there is the natural kind of gravity of human volume, right? Like that you have more people in engineering. And so for example, when they're doing reorgs, it's like, oh, we need to engage all the engineering managers because they're the team leaders, right? And they have all these teams and the product managers, like there's very few comparatively speaking, right? So you have much less organization and it's like, oh, well, yeah, but you should involve them because they're on the same level in the, in the triad. That requires the discipline again on, on, on the communication side to make to make sure that everybody's uh, aligned. From the business versus the EPD perspective, that's that's interesting one, and it's probably the CEO's job is to like bridge the you know business strategy overall and make sure that uh, that that gets communicated regularly and that you have office hours and AMAs and that all parts of the organization can ask. And obviously, from EPD, it's going to be more technical than from the business side. Then you need to keep repeating it and make sure that you do roadshow and make sure that that conversation is just you know it never stops and. You need to repeat it just because people don't remember things, because people don't pay attention, but also because you have a lot of new people, right? If you're that company, you have attrition, company scaling. And so it's challenging because it's not natural for us humans to just like go and repeat the same thing, especially if you're like a very curious person and you're kind of hooked on novelty. Like, oh, I'm going to go and I'm going to tell for the 15th time what we're doing, what, what the, the platform. And then the challenge is that you're sitting in front of an audience of people from different cohorts who have different contexts. And so like, how do you make it? You know, some people heard the joke that you're saying and the metaphor already 10 times and others are new to it. So it's like, you know, how engaging is it? So... Anyway, I don't, so I don't know if I have answers, like maybe you do cohort it, right? Maybe you have like, hey, who's been around what? And maybe you do kind of like a train the trainer and you try to engage the, the original gangsters to share some of it on, on behalf of the leadership, you know, and kind of like do it as a participatory collaborative exercise and collaboration. I have one more question 
before we, we transition to, to rapid fire. This sort of relates to like the requirements gathering side or, or rather getting input from engineering on product strategy or defining the product or defining some of the requirements. Like what are some of the steps that you find are important to help ensure that engineers are actively involved in that process of either requirements gathering, defining the product or the, the vision and strategy side of, of product? Sharing information in humanity is difficult. <laughs> and, <laughs> and often analytical people like engineers, like you want to go to the source and you want to hear it kind of from the horse's mouth, right? And so, wait, wait, like you product managers, you're, you're, you're telling me this, but like, you know, let's go talk to the customers or like, let's validate everything, right? Even the, even the problems. So it's kind of a balance between how much do you trust the person that's standing in front of you and telling you, like, I already validated the problem. Or like, I need help on the solutioning. Like, you know, if you go and we reinvent everything and yeah, we're going to get to absolute perfect understanding that's shared uh, across everybody, but it's also the slowest way to get there, right? It's kind of like you just graduated from college. You would just, they would give you a patient and you would say, and they would tell you, congratulations, you're a doctor now. And like on your, on your own, go and figure out how to solve this patient without like talking to the senior doctors at the hospital who have years of experience and you know like you're inventing everything like well that's not probably the best thing that you would do right and so just in in the in the business world also you need to rely on the experience of other people at the company who have the context and you don't always go to the to the root cause anyway my point is that how do you balance that with the need to be exposed to it with the need that if you show somebody transcript from a call with sales people or you know user research interview and people hear it from the uh, from the source that you just believe it and you trust it more I remember, I remember talking to Amy Bonsell, who's a SVP of product at Autodesk. She owns uh, AutoCAD as, as the product among, amongst others. And she said, like, we went and we recorded little like short movies about the customers to explain to the business. I this is Autodesk, right? It's mm-hmm. a big company. So they have resources. But like they, they literally created like production to explain the emotions and explain the customers and the, the challenges that they have with the, with, the, with the product to the rest of the organization who were not this deep in the product, right? To, to create the empathy or to leverage the empathy and kind of like help them understand. So, I, you know, long answer, but like you need to balance it. Expose people to the voice of the customer and make them part of that. Don't don't shield them. Don't just keep them aside. Like, hey, that's my job as the product manager to understand the customers. But at the same time, you need to foster the trust so that people don't go and they don't want to validate everything because it's just slow and you don't have time. I mean, you said it, a little time, resources, budgets, cuts, like macro depression in tech. It's like a massive recession, right? In tech, we've had recession, no doubt. So that creates even more pressure on moving fast. And moving fast means that if you're fighting war, you're a soldier on the front line, guess you don't have the time and the, the, the ideal ability to get all the information from all the parts of the battlefield before you're going to go and, you know, fight a fight on the front line, like the generals do. And I know that it's uncomfortable. Obviously, the, the extreme would be that you're building a feature factory and don't question anything, just say, hey, I'm telling you what to build. Like, and that, that's not what I'm trying to say. I'm just saying that there needs to be a balance. Because otherwise you're slow. You're idealized, everything, you understand everything, and it takes you forever to figure it out. Hubert, I, I know we're, we're just about out of time. I've got four rapid fire questions if you have a few minutes to, to go over. Yeah. Okay. What are the questions? <laughs> Number one, what are you reading or listening to right now? I do a lot of podcasts. I just finished this book called Outlive, which is 
non-tech, but it's how to live healthy, longer life. And I, as a result, exercise more and eat more protein and go and read the book. Like, just a lot of great, a lot of great insights. And I, I, you know, I read business books. I try to learn from the best people. So I often go and I also, I want to see people. I want to, I, I, I often, you know, I don't have the time much, but like I often have the desire to not just listen to podcasts, but see the people that, that are talking and go on YouTube or, you know, podcasts that have videos like what you guys are doing because I feel like it gets me better insight into the person and their passion and emotions and who they are. Question number two, what's a tool or methodology that's had a big impact on you? I mean, the most recent is Figma. I love it because, you know, I used to, in the early days, use Keynote and then obviously Sketch and even before then Balsamic and on the design side. I just love how easy it is to do everything collaboratively in Figma. Love it. What's a trend that you're seeing or following that's been interesting or hasn't hit the mainstream yet? The the most recent thing in the area of AI is thinking a lot about you know, not just the large language models, you throw question at them and then they, they generate answer based on what they were trained. But we, there's there's this whole conversation about do we have one model or are we going to have multiple models that are specialized? And is there going to be like an Uber model? And I've been thinking about it all depends on our ability to design models that are going to be curious because if models are like humans, then it would aim at having one Uber model because that model would just learn from everything else and no other models would survive. But if we don't succeed with the kind of self-training and kind of inciting curiosity, then we would have multiple language models. So I don't know if it's a trend, but if it's something that I've been thinking about a lot because you listen to different, I listen again to these podcasts, Mark Zuckerberg and then, you know, Mark Andreessen and different opinions. So it's a little chaotic. I, I'm trying to be like very, very deep answer to this question, but I think it's a big one. I think it's a big one. And it, you know what's interesting? Learning and having more interest in the artificial intelligence, I feel like it helped me understand human brain better, hmm. which is kind of ironic. But it seems like, you know, the ability to learn and how the neural networks work. And I had neural networks when I was you know, in 2001 getting my master's, you know, like the, the, the math aspect of it. But now it's just like, oh, this is how I can retrain my human brain because I see how the LLMs are being trained. And, you know, interesting. Last question, Hubert. Is there a quote or mantra that you live by or a quote that's been resonating with you right now? I have, so my mantra, personal, this is, this is really personal, but um, I have like two aspects and that's to live my life with love and activity. And love meaning, I mean, different types of love for different types of audiences. It's all about segmentation again. Like my, my, my wife is different than my coworkers. But then the activity is like, how can I live my life productively and make impact and drive innovation and kind of minimize entertainment and unproductive time only to the extent that it's contributing to my physical and mental well-being. But then think, read, contribute, teach my kids. That's how I live. A powerful way to close this off. Thank you so much for joining us on the show and doing a deep dive into the world of engineering product design, conflict, prioritization, product vision, and and all of the like. Uh, We really appreciate it. It was a ton of fun. Thank you for having me. If you enjoyed the episode, make sure that you click subscribe if you're listening on Apple Podcasts or follow if you're listening on Spotify. And if you love the show, we also have a ton of other ways to stay involved with the engineering leadership community. To stay up to date and learn more about all of our upcoming events, 